0: and welcome to episode 18 of A wee bit of everything with your hosts Lewis Cleland and Clark Burrow. This week we're absolutely delighted again to welcome another special guest onto the show.
1: This week on the podcast we're delighted to welcome Chris Trixton, who's a primary PE specialist in South Ayrshire Council. Chris is also a youth football coach. He's currently working with Corver Coach in Scotland as regional head coach, having worked with Corver for over 10 years. He also worked with his Club Academy Scotland set-up, most recently with Rangers Football Club. We are both really looking forward to this one, therefore I think it's about time we get Chris onto the show. Right, welcome to the show, Chris. How are you doing?
2: Uh, all good. All good as you can be in these these times. Yeah, try and enjoy your summer holidays best you can, a bit. Uh, I know it's been good and hopefully some
1: normality in the next coming weeks. So I'll be back to yeah. the graft. Absolutely. So thanks all for joining us today to share your experience as a, as a primary PE teacher and as a, as a football coach. We're looking forward to getting an insight into some of the models that you've used, um, like small sided games. So thanks again for coming on. Um, Chris, would you be able to tell us a wee bit about yourself um, and your, your teaching coaching career today?
2: Um, well I probably best starting off where I am just now, so I'm currently PE spe- a PE specialist in South Ayrshire Council, so I'm peripatetic across three or four different schools, so I teach uh, like a second level PE uh, and health and wellbeing. Um, from a coaching point of view, uh, I'm one of the regional head coaches at Coover Scotland, Um so my areas would be Inverclyde Clyde, Ayrshire and Dumfries and Galloway, um, so I deliver in coach education, staff training, uh, leading groups of staff to then deliver team training, partner club body clinics, monthly and weekly performance academies. Um, so that, that's where I am just now. Um, so probably probably best to talk about where it, where it began when I was eighteen. So I, I went to uni in Aberdey and Dundee. I did sports development, gathering some sort of experience through working with active schools over there. Um, so your so your multi multi sports stuff and going into primary schools, um started working with Dundee United in the community up there. Um with uh, oh Gogsy, I can't remember the full name again. Um but we used to do a thing called the Jai League on a Saturday morning the kids would come in and that's mm-hmm. when I started really. Um then from there I went over to work with Coover Scotland um just as an assistant coach. Um, and that was mainly in Perth and Dundee area. Um and this is when I'm sort of 18, 19, so I'm just finding my feet um joined uni a lot more than, I, than working <laughs> as you can imagine,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. um,
2: but I was always quite serious about trying to build a profile for myself, so making these networks was good, um, so off the back of that I wanted to go to America, I went to work with UK Elite over there, um, mostly in East Coast America and things like residentials, camps, club sessions and clinics and that sort of thing, um, so that started to build like a sort of hunger for coaching. I was like, you know what, well, I actually quite enjoy this. Um so from there I was looking for more contacts. I, I got in touch with Jed McCabe at Inspire Sport. Um and I worked for them for about three or four years. Um i sort of been a rep, so taking groups of school kids and players across the Ajax and Fine you know, very Porto, places like Chelsea, so they can well, get That's a good see- job. Oh, it was great, mate. Oh, gosh, I was glad I was still doing <laughs> <laughs> um, good. It was great because you would get looked after, the company would look after you, and you would take these kids away to see stadiums and the matches. But you would also, from a coaching point of view, make a lot of networks. Um,
1: and I'll come back to that later on. if mm-hmm. um, you take any, any tours yourself with any kids? Because I had a trip organised to Real Madrid there, but it got cancelled. Um, um, really
2: we've been away with uh, PE5 before. There's a wee name drop for whoever's listening for PE5. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> we went away with them down to Man United. Uh, Sunderland the first year in primary, because primary don't really do those sort of things, most secondary yeah. thing. Um But this year we organised it ourselves and um, we went down to Man United for the Europa League game. We got Thursday, Friday, we went down to the kids for the Club Bruges game. It was absolutely brilliant. So Not quite the same as the uh, portal right enough for. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, the Theory of Dreams is not really Theory of Dreams anymore, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it
1: wasn't, it wasn't last night either, to the 96 minute.
2: <laughs> Aye. No, so, I mean, off the back of that was a building experience, um, i managed to get myself into a, a post-grad to do PE teaching, and that was coming off the back of my second stint in America, I was like, you know what, this is maybe what I want to do. Um, so when I moved over from, because I was living in Dundee at the time, I moved over to Ayr, um, I got given an opportunity um at curver coaching to sort of become a regional head coach at Ayrshire. Uh and that's just grown over the last five years. Um and obviously running the, the West Coast almost in a way. Um
1: mm-hmm.
2: but I've worked in clubs o- over that time as well and these experiences shape you as you go. Um when I first moved over, I, I worked at United um and did the A B license there in about twenty fifteen. Um I went back to Ajax as a coach. Um so I made really good contacts with Ajax guys and it was more their, their camps and clinic sections, but they they do it on a global scale. So you have kids from all over the world coming for the week uh, at the um at the facility there, which was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. then off off coming through there, um, left there to go and work with Rangers and that was more through a curver link. Uh, Rangers are a partner club with Curver. So initially going in um, as a curver coach and then eventually working with teams. So working with all the teams between under eights and under twelves mm-hmm. uh, over a three-year period. And mainly the under nine squads, uh, working with like and Greer and John Lawson, who are two outstanding coaches I learned a lot from. Um, so that, that I left there recently about six months ago, continuing the Coover work now. Um, we're growing the business and providing loads of great opportunities. Um, Working with Sat PE as a sort of primary lead um, mm-hmm. to create a primary strand for Sat PE, um, to try and sort of bring a network together to support primary teachers. So yeah, that's, that's where I am. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm
1: sure that's where we met. Um, and you were doing a great job at that time, so now well done. Um, so see, going back to your kind of core of our coaching job, what is the coaching philosophy there? And see, Rangers, with them being a partner club, do they want you to coach in that way? Well,
2: I going in there it was quite easy for me because they wanted uh curver in the first place um and that's that's my thing, so I could survive that but I mean curvers like everybody develop the player develop the person um but using the sort of, curver system that has been sort of, evolved over thirty six years um sort of developing the player through. Um, a skills bridge method of taking things from no pressure, limited pressure to full pressure, using a session planner that has um, ball mastery, speed with or without the ball, 1v1, group play, small-sided game, um, the contents uh, created from the pyramid of player development, um, so it's almost like a drills library you can take to then fit into those segments of the session mm-hmm. planner and um, obviously all uh, towards a, a game theme, so creating a player that has uh, five things, we call it the core of our DNA. Um, so it's uh, skills, so good, fo- uh, the four core skills, running with the ball, first touch, ball striking, and 1v1, one one. game sense, knowing when to use those skills, uh, speed with and without the ball, so running with the ball speed, but also mental speed, strength, so physical strength and stamina, um, and spirit, so having that sort of, competitive edge and character. So that will sort of help create a skillful, creative, confident player for the team using that system. And that's what Craig Mahon wanted uh, in the Children's Academy. So that's what I just delivered when I was at Rangers. Um, We'd obviously geared it towards um, uh, match days when we went uh, to play games on Saturday. But the philosophy really is following that system, creating competitive sessions with winners, losers, time challenges, um, competitions through and um, set, them setting themselves challenges and having serious fun through that way so we're not going to turn up and say oh last one things sings our song or we don't do any of that nonsense because mm-hmm. it gets away for the fact of developing the player um, and it i think it capsulates it well just saying, it's a serious serious fun but mm-hmm. the rangers the rangers philosophy is one that's really mirrored to the Curver because we've got our own team style um, a curver which is an, a mixture of effective possession and fast break attack, or counter attack, and however you want to say it. Um, and these these sort of styles of, of play and nurture the four main skills because you're um, you're getting more engagements with the ball in 1v1 in small groups. It means you're developing those four core skills we talked about. Um, by small groups, I mean 2v2, 3v3, 4v4. We see the game as being a small side of the game, small groups all over the field. So if you can't keep it in a 3v3 over the left hand side with the centre middle left winger and the left back, it doesn't matter what the right winger's doing because you've lost the ball, you mm. know, so, uh, working in the small groups. But the Children's Academy at Rangers was I got a chance to work with numerous squads, like I said. Um, but I couldn't comment on anything they do now because I've been six months out there and they're so forward thinking and forward moving that they've brought loads of new things in. Um I left the post recently to fulfil more responsibilities with Curva, um, so I couldn't, I couldn't comment on the academy or like the first team and how it links together. Um, but in my opinion, from my time there, um, the best academy I've seen, uh, one of the best in Europe, I would say, in terms of culture, um, created by the players, staff, uh, parents and coaches, um, but the system and support there as well. Um, we used to run about with GoPros strapped to your chest, and somebody else would have a GoPro on you, and you would ha- you would end up getting like an observation video with like three or four different views of the one session at the same time. It was it was that's amazing, brilliant. mad. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, hopefully that uh, gives a
1: wee insight. Yeah. So, see the cover methods. Obviously, it sounds as if it's a kind of encompassing all the physical, mental kind of side of the game, you spoke through the DNA. I Suppose a question for all the, any teachers listening or, or student teachers listening what do you take from your coaching and your teaching, or what helps you as a teacher? Like anything you can take from your kind of coaching experiences in the Curver methods and your teaching to make you a better teacher? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the ball
2: mastery that we do at the start of the sessions in Curver, um, is quite closely related to a sort of BMT approach, um, mm-hmm. and obviously. I'm going to talk about how I put lessons together later on but um so that's it sort of helps me across all activities because I can sort of scaffold and say right if I do that here then I, oh, I'm just swapping the ball for a basketball for example um but when you come to like the small small groups and small sided games a lot of those are crossovers um Kurva did a lot of work with Eddie Jones um with England mm-hmm. rugby um in terms of the small sided games that we use can be transferred across to rugby, um, to hockey, to uh, basketball, handball. Um, Sorry, I'm just like the dog out. <laughs> um, so the, the, <laughs> these sort of things are the things that were easy for me to sort of jump over. I think the fact of having real good expertise in uh, a sort of skills bridge approach of taking things from no pressure, limited pressure to full pressure, I was quite fixated on planning everything so it leads on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably, a good way to look at it
1: that's a good way aye. to talk about it. the skills bridge I quite like that, no pressure and limited pressure
2: aye I know I know. And obviously there's different teaching styles you don't have to go with the skills bridge every time but I think it builds confidence mm-hmm. um, over time which is important
1: yep
0: Brilliant. so what are your absolute must then when it comes to teaching that you would include in every, or coaching so what would you have to include in every teaching or coaching
2: session that you deliver um, I mean, from, from, a, from both sides, I would say sp- specific level content. So engaging content, I use, in a coaching sense, i use the Curver Session Planner. So like I mm-hmm. said, warm-up one uh, speed, 1v1 group play small-sided game. When I go into the teaching side of things, where my hour lesson, my hour and a half lesson that I do, it will be BMT, EGFU, and small-sided games. So I follow a similar format. Um, Depends on how the kids are. Some days you might just say, "Right, okay, kids, today it's just small the games," you know. But I try and stick to that because it gives me some sort of consistency in my plan, and also gives the kids consistency in terms of they know the routines when they come in. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's not... even more important for primary kids, isn't it? That routine. Oh, of course. I it was a bit of a shock to the system when I moved into primary because I moved in from an academy doing my probation year there. Um, <laughs> I was all over the shop my first year out. Um, which was great, but um, I've really taken to teaching the p one twos now. If you asked yeah. me that four years ago, it would have been the off <laughs> see, see,
0: See, when teaching in primary school, do you feel like
2: you need to chunk the lesson up into
0: loads of smaller bits just for the pure focus side of things, or how do you get the best engagement from them?
2: Um, best engagement for me would be high levels of activity, so maximising the time, stepping into the hall. As soon as they step into the hall, they're on the go. Um, or if it's arrival games where you're coaching, minimal waiting time between drills yeah. and games, minimal talking, because mm-hmm. the kids are not interested in uh, you talking for a long time, but just want to play. And Especially if one age in
0: that.
2: <laughs> oh, Correct, aye. Even <laughs> more so with teenagers, to be aye. fair. <laughs> um, I know, I know. But if you If you set up the games right, then they'll lead them towards uh, develop the success criteria without minimal input from you and you're just guiding them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, specific level content, content, um, high levels of activity, minimal waiting time, serious fun through uh, competitions, challenges, winning and losing and sweating the head. Um, mm-hmm. I still do that in schools. I know a lot of people say uh, cooperation and taking part. And I, I get that and there's maybe a small part of that. But for me, that doesn't really develop skills for life learning and work. I want uh, people that are competitive. Um, if it obviously goes too far, in terms of somebody's getting upset, we can look at that as a whole group. But I think as a base, we need to start to develop resilience through competition. it's key, uh, for that's me anyway.
0: Especially at a young age. Of course,
2: aye. Mm-hmm.
0: So, what traits then do you think are commonplace within the most successful young players or pupils that you've worked with?
2: Um, maybe coming at it from a, well... Yeah, from a PE side as well. Uh, the most successful young players or pupils in PE are ones that, ones that have say, attitude and resilience. Um, so there's no arrogance of knowing it all or dealing with set and they can deal with setbacks well. Um, it's not that you're coaching uh, somebody who's uh, going, oh, I play with this team, you know, I mm-hmm. really listen. Um listen. Yeah. Because there's, lo- there's loads of players. There's players that play at top clubs across the country who will be at under 15 level um, who have that mindset who will quickly find themselves falling down to junior
1: level. Um, mm-hmm. I, think, I think the minute you think you know, oh, that's when you start to go downhill. From Aye, and it's hard there, to change it? the mindset once you're in that mindset. But that's probably our that
2: second point is growth mindset. Um, a lot of players are, who are open, so actually resilience, players who have growth mindset, who are open to um, challenging themselves, making mistakes, taking on feedback, these sort of things. Being obsessed, so internal motivation, so players who are obsessed and obsessed with improving and getting better. Um, I'll name drop a kid at St. Mirren that's been uh, at us Vancouver for about five years. Um, wee Jack's playing with the 07s even though he's in 08. But he's, he's just, he's always fixated or obsessed with getting better and everything that he does. He turns up to the sessions never to really play like arrival games or practice finishing or whatever. He'll just go away on his own up to the corner and just do ball mastery. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a, uh, being obsessed I think's important. But then obviously already having a, a small foundation of technical ability. So running with ball first touch ball second one one on both sides of so technical balance. Um being able to make quick decisions um and being fast over short distances physically. Um and those those are the ones that sort of jump out. But I think this applies to players our players in Scotland, I see especially the top players, but our players are they're no, so, no, pretty similar, at, especially at a young age, at 11-year-old, 11, 11 10-11-year-old, olds they are very similar to the standard in England, foreign players across the globe. Um, from my experience anyway, our kids are just as good, but our top players are just as good. But it's, uh, it's what happens in maybe intermediate or senior academies or the opportunities that you get at intermediate or senior level um, playing time or style of play that maybe has an impact on people being successful.
1: But, I think well, it even yeah. looks at, if you look at it, even the senior level in Scotland, we never just quite make it either. So it's something maybe, it's even as far up as the elite level. We never just seem to quite go over the line, do we? But, I mean, we've got good That's players in, the, in, the in their clubs, but when it comes to national level, they struggle. Yeah, no, it's a whole, I think it's a whole different podcast, that one, you need to get something else I
2: All right, brilliant. Right, so
0: on to the PE teaching side of things then, Chris, out of your um, work, what is your role within the primary setting and how do you find it like, working in the primary setting, teaching PE?
2: Um, I find a lot of variety in it because I'm, I'm across three or four different schools, so you're, you're, you're really stretched in your planning and assessment because you're teaching across three levels, early first and second, and there's a real big jump. Um, between early and first, I think, um, when working with kids, uh, but also teaching health and wellbeing side of things as well, um, and not only just PE. It gives me a lot of variety. Um, not so much that year there, but the year before. Um, so teaching P one to P seven, taking a class for non-contact at the moment, uh, which a lot of PE specialists are. Now I don't know if that's the best model to use a PE specialist because I think it de-skills teachers. In, in a curricular area, so maybe a mixture of using a PE specialist to observe and team teaching with our class teacher would sort aid this. Because I know there's a lot of good um, class teachers out there with a lot of good pedagogy, um, ones that are far far better than me with their pedagogy, but maybe get a barrier when they come to PE. So it's how to break that down? Um, so I mean. Having like such a sort of relaxing environment with the pupils, so uh, I, I think it's more relaxing for me in primary. Uh, you're not checking your shoulder as you would be in the secondary all the time. There's no much mischief, mm-hmm. is what I'm trying yeah. to say. So mm-hmm. I think it's more relaxing for me. Um, like for, for when I for when I first went into primary school, I was really really strict um, because that's the way. I was in high school, and the kids were sort of like were not used to that in primary, um, and I've sort of come away from that approach to an extent where I'm more it the word, n- nurturing and more nurturing now. Um, yeah. But there's certainly a place for for, for both, and mm-hmm. I've been in schools before where maybe there hasn't been a side of both, and it's been too nurturing, where, whereby they're not getting prepared for the transition up to high school um and they're like sort of, right, come on now don't do that again it's like the fifth yeah. time you smacked over the head um, mm-hmm. so I, I guess i but i think there's more chances for me as well to be creative in PE yeah. t- because you're also, you're basically your own pt because there's nobody uh, in the school well you're the t specialist so you're the one with the expertise so yeah. a lot of the time you're given free scope to come up and do whatever you want in terms of planning and assessment. Uh, which that's nice. Um, on the other side, facilities and equipment can be limited, but mm. I guess that's that's how you can learn and adapt every year. Ah, you need to be creative um, with
0: the small spaces and that, don't you, the primary schools often have?
2: Aye, totally, totally. Um, and it is like that, because then if you go in a big massive space, I'm not used to that either. Um, especially if it's windy, it's like having cats when they go out the wind, they go crazy. <laughs> 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 um, but I, I guess, like, see, there's always one, one word that I use, being a lone wolf. I don't want to be a lone wolf in the school because at times it can be hard. There's no P department around you, so you don't get the banter of the yeah. P department. But it's the small things like it's the daily CLPL, it's the daily moderation. It doesn't happen because there's no P department. If you come in to my, uh, into the if I come into the staff room and you two are there, and I'm saying, oh, what about that wee, wee pupil in S1? you think Yankees third level or no and you have those constant discussions all the time Um oh I just tried this this wee drill out you should try it with your S2 class aye um, and that's that's partly why I joined SAPE is to try and get um, a fix of CLPL and, and network and collaborate with folk yeah.
1: um,
2: but I guess working in the primary sector is that there's not many P specialists in the council So I'm getting a lot of leadership opportunities as well to deliver CLPL to parents and staff, um, mainly along our BMT route at the moment. Um, I'm doing my professional inquiry into small group interventions with BMT um, as a target to raise attainment. Um, I'm also working with a a pupil over in Dublin at the moment, uh, virtually, tutoring them over the summer period in uh, BMT, so that's quite interesting as well. So, yeah. How um,
0: how much do you liaise with the feed is it See, the four primary schools that you work within, do they go
2: to the feed into the same high school? Aye. Um, I, well, I work in quite a lot of Catholic schools. Right. So, like, for example, Ambank, I work at feed into Air Academy. Um, right. And they'll have Newton, Coyle, and Dan and will all feed-in. I work for another example, I work at Sacred Heart in Girvan. Now, quite a lot of the pupils just go to Girvan Academy because it's so yeah. far away quite mm. and then maybe a quarter of them will get the bus up to uh, air to go to Queen Margaret and um, so it's it's uh, it's quite mixed in that respect.
0: How much do you liaise with the P departments of the high school is that quite a, a big part
2: of your job role? Um, No Um, it's a, it's a role that I'll pursue myself because I'm oh. that kind of guy but I want to get better and share practice and get opportunities for my kids but uh, Scott Ireland at Girvan Academy have worked with him to sort of come up with a, uh an easier way of uh, holistic assessment in PE, um, planning and tracking permanent learning intention success criteria. We're hopefully going to showcase that with SAP PE, or uh, Scott's going to hopefully present that to SAP PE because I think it's mm-hmm. it's one of the better models I've seen in terms of workload, um, minimal workload, and the people at the centre of that. So. I've been able to seek that, see a opportunity. But I'll go, when it's exam time, I'll get timetabled in to use some of his facilities as well. Um, but because, because I'm three days at Sacred Heart, I can see him more often, where I'm only mm-hmm. one day at St. internings, so I can't get to Presswick Academy or Queen Margaret as much. Right. Uh, same when i bang, I can't get to here as much. I'm only, you're only one day, you know. So...
0: Mm-hmm.
1: so as you said uh, earlier on, Chris, there's many different ways to teach a PE class. Um, so, talking about the model you spoke about with covered the small-sided games, uh, have, can you give us an example of, of when you've had some success te- using this to teach PE and why you believe that's the case? Um, it's a difficult one because um,
2: small-sided games...
1: Uh,
2: for example, I, I use a sort of lesson format, but it's mixed. Um, so I've got a variety of approaches in the lessons because I think I think that it's more engaging as well where you've got loads of different things happening, uh, but it all leads towards more of a sort of game format at the end because I think the mm. kids enjoy it. So, for example, early to first level, my small-sided game, I would, I would sort of call TGFU. So it might be for early level, the small-sided game might be that uh, we're playing uh, hoop dodgeball, so you've got a hoop, I've got the ball. We're a team. I need to throw it through the hoop, and then off somebody. So it's like an aiming target. Kids love it, but because it's so inclusive, um, the kids enjoy it. It's competitive, uh, high energy. Um, I, I think it's a success for the younger ones. But then yeah. you can work with small-sided games for the first to second level pupils. You can start to build loads of different types of tactical ideas in there as well. Um, so I mean, for early to first, and I, I clump my plan to early, I don't ever just plan early. I go early to first lessons, that'd be my P1-2 lessons, my first uh, to second level lessons. That's must be ready Yeah, yeah P3-5, and then my six to sevens will be my second to third.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so early to first, non, non-sport based for me. Um, so movement skills, um, target games, invasion games, and then when I get to first, second, third level, I'll go to a sport-based concept. So yeah, okay, we are doing basketball today. Um, so I, for me, most of the games, high inclusion, um, enjoyment as it's competitive, activity, that you're getting that moderate to high vigorous activity. Pupils relate to the actual sport. So you win them over um, because it's more like a sport. A lot of kids play sport outside of the school. So you, you get them on side. Um, mm. You're working in small numbers, so they're getting more interactions with decision-making, more interactions with um, developing physical competencies, um, multi-directional games, so having more than one or two goals in there to help with decision-making. If you're blocked at one, go somewhere else. Conditions that encourage uh, a real focus on the benchmark, so uh, playing a 5v5 end-zone game uh, with no talking for communication or assign some coaches. Um, but there's loads you can do in terms of making it fun uh, with small-sided games. Dead easy to set up tables and ladders and winners and losers. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I just think that being able to make decisions under pressure it has a lot more value sometimes. Um, so because mm-hmm. you're playing in small areas, it creates a need for better cognitive skills because there's less space and time for them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so it
1: sort of forces that out. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think, we, I think we, the small-sided games approach. When I've I've been using it, as you said, it's they enjoy it more. So there's less behavioural issues, and um, I've also kind of got them refereeing it as well. That kind of builds their understanding of the game as well. When you put them in the situation of refereeing, so they have to go through the processes um, that you would normally go through. But I just said it's more about the enjoyment side of things, and I always find myself teaching more the kind of game-specific information when I do small-sided games, rather than just try to teach the drill and the technique. Yeah. You end up just teaching the drill rather than teaching about the game. i, so, no, I agree. You're right, and like kids being able to be
2: tolerable—is that the word? Tol- tolerable, tolerable of each other when they're mm-hmm. refereeing the games—that's a massive thing, and uh, there's loads you can do with it. But I don't—I can't do myself justice if I don't mention BMT. Right, so I'm going to mention BMT. <laughs> 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 Obviously, big big advocate for small city games. A lot of my knowledge comes from Curva. But BMT for me is, it, for, in my skills, has an incredible impact on staff and pupils because you're developing the physical competencies, your motor skills, uh, coordination. But you're you're enhancing your ex your working memory, your your EF skills at the same time. So mm-hmm. your focus of attention. And I'm obsessed with it at the moment, whereby we've got like a whole school approach. Um, and we we lead staff in delivery of it and C O P L to then do it with with pupils. They do it 15 minutes every day. Um, We're about to do small group intervention work as well, Uh, but it's got massive cross-curricular links, which is huge. Coming back to the point I said about teachers having great pedagogy, class teachers are phenomenal in their organisation and in their problem-solving. And if if they have BMT as a, a means to use the classroom, once you get success in the classroom using BMT, it breaks down the barrier because right, okay, you can do that in PE now, and that's high-quality PE as well. You know, um, so yeah, it gives that
1: confidence as well.
2: Aye, it's
1: gap, so aye. So you, so you spoke a lot about the BMT approach, the the small-sided games teaching models. Obviously, we're going back to work in a few weeks. Um, what do you see as the main challenges in going back to work, and how do, we, do you think we can overcome them from a PE perspective? Getting out of bed in the morning. After <laughs> sleeping till 11 every day. <laughs> uh,
2: no, I mean, timing days in the week um, is a challenge in PE. Um, so when we go back, our school is still going to be doing their two hours because they should be. And there's no reason why they shouldn't be. Um, and Covid's not an excuse. Um, so do they all do their two hours? I'm saying at the moment, before Covid, there's not a chance they all do two hours. Um, yeah. studies and stuff, people come out and say, yeah, we've done two hours of PE, no, you've no. Know, because by the time they get changed in their hall, you're not doing two hours. Um, if you've scheduled uh, two 45-minute lessons, that's two, have oh, got our two PE lessons a week? No, that's 45 minutes, that's not two hours. I think that we need to have people held accountable um, for that. Um, I know with Sports Scotland, the words are great, a evaluative tool, but um, a lot of people wing it. <laughs> Let's be serious. Yeah. Um, it should be more than two hours in my opinion, I think it should be three hours a week PE. Yeah. Except what it is in other countries, uh, being at board meetings with uh, European PE association and stuff before, they've shared practice with Belgium and Germany and um, that's what they do, so a, we need to create a need for it. Absolutely. Highlight the importance of PE um, and BMT can be the example uh, as the school class teachers enjoy it. <laughs> so if the class teachers enjoy it and it's research proven, it's research based, and head teachers are more likely to buy in um, and spend more time in it, so hopefully we can get it two hours. Um, another mm-hmm. challenge would be the quality uh, and variety of delivery. Uh, class teachers have great pedagogy, but um, a lot of very good PE P- delivery out there um, in primary. There's lots of it. But for those who don't have those skill sets or have the confidence about bringing down the barriers for them um, and how they can use their strengths in the hall, so that's another challenge, um, and how you go about doing that. Hopefully SAP and primary can help put some easy, um, user-friendly resources that can start to build some content knowledge for staff as well. Um, probably one of the main ones you will agree with me here, well, maybe not, kit and engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Especially when you come to P6, P7, when things are changing for them and they don't want to get changed or whatever. And, um, but there's more need for them because they smell more <laughs> <So Yeah. laughs> it's, it's creating I, I suppose a reward system we kit, we, we've tried reward systems um, maybe a spare kit policy maybe that's not appropriate with Covid at the moment but spare kit yeah. policies changing PE activities to suit pupils uh, and what they want to maximise engagement so they do bring kit um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what you guys think of
1: that no been given the pupils a voice, isn't it? Centering the curriculum around the pupil that's the most important thing. Um, Mm. Definitely worked in my experience, you know, taking on the views and opinions of the pupils and then creating a curriculum for them, because it's theirs at the end of the day.
0: I've seen different policies in that for for Kit, like one of the schools I did my placement at when I was um, on my postgrad, like they had a, they had like the school football kits and not, not one pupil they all they they ended up all in cat even if they forgot it they get pretty much made to put their kit on essentially so everybody yeah. was coming out to the and that that seemed to work but I don't know how um, positive that is.
1: Uh, uh, is that trying to kind of scare them off?
0: Yeah, that could have a
1: backfire in a way, but especially um, if no it's no it's, it's a hard one. But I think you made a good point, Chris, about the quality. It's really important that when we go back, it needs to be quality but we offer, and don't lose that just because of COVID. And we're trying to obviously come up with alternative plans. But I think you made a good point about keeping it high-quality teaching and learning. Aye,
2: uh, of course, aye. Um, I don't think PE can be replaced with physical activity because physical activity, although it's fantastic, it doesn't have the scope to hit as many... Uh, indicators as PE does um so no PE should should definitely be at the forefront uh COVID returning not on the back burner um especially in terms of the social implications that kids have had being locked in for 15 weeks PE can naturally remedy that um and mm-hmm. it's it's for me the most unique subject in the whole of the curriculum in terms of Naturally developing life skills. (laughs) Um,
1: There's no brainer. You look
2: at top ten employability skills from my memory. You'll be able to Google them. But if you Google them and then you look at the PE benchmarks, especially the personal qualities and cognitive skills side, it almost mirrors what our benchmarks developing pupils. So there's no more. There's not not a We have the most natural way in developing those employability skills. Naturally occurring development and nurturing of those skills. Um, Not forced or set up. Um, So I just think that shows the importance of PE as well. See see when you're delivering, just out of curiosity, see when you're
0: delivering um, your PE lessons or you're planning a block um, for, say, a class, do you... (laughs) tie in specific benchmarks for specific activities or do you just let them naturally occur as you're teaching? Do you make it
2: explicit to the kids or anything like that? Um, I'll have an idea in my short, in my long-term planning. Um, I don't put... <laughs> I put it down, obviously, before I teach what I want to go and get from that lesson I and mean, then obviously yeah. for the next lesson building onto that. So mm-hmm. say I've worked on communication, um, uh, decision-making, and kinesthetic awareness. Um, if we've got that, and I think, yeah, we've really understood that, then I might go and learn something else, or I might keep one of those in. Um, but if the kids, obviously, i put that in before, so I have an idea of what I want my lesson to look like. If the kids come in and have an argument at lunchtime, then I've, before, I've literally just ripped we intentions off the wall, <laughs> emphatically mm-hmm. just smashing on the floor and go, no doing that. And the kids are like, oh, I'm going, we need to sort out this first. So we're going to play a game that will get us working together as a team to build up our respect tolerance before, before we do anything. Um, so yeah. I guess it's just how the kids are feeling, you know, the kid mm-hmm. can come and have no breakfast. Um, so how is he going to be working on cognitive skills, you know?
0: Yeah, so exactly.
2: So it's, it's difficult, but we've, We've got Ireland at Garden Academy, we have um they're in my car, I could have showed you, um uh, laminated success criteria cards. So early first for every benchmark, um, first and second, every benchmark, second, third, third, and fourth. Um and basically what they look like is there's a card for every um every benchmark. So for example, if it was kinesthetic awareness, it has level E, which is a level dash. I can uh move at different speeds and then on the on the sort of rectangle card, you have level one. I can move at different speeds uh, with quality. So mm-hmm. you put that up on the wall. So guys working on that one today, working this one, and working that, and up at three up for different areas to give sort of pace and challenge. But then, say for example, Clark's great. p one at um, kinesthetic awareness. I'll sort of call more. over. Come like, here. See how that says quality. You should be able to do it like this now. Um, so sort a of challenge them as well. So. That's that's the way I do it. my learning intentions and success success criteria. They're permanent across yep. all activities. So I do the same of learning intentions, same success criteria across all activities. Obviously the teaching points might be different if I'm using a tennis racket compared to a, a basketball or whatever. Yeah. yeah I think it's really
1: important to have there. uh, those learner conversations as you were speaking about there and bringing the kids over individual or in pairs. And we need to do more of that so they know what the expectation, what the level is and what they're working towards. Of course, aye. It's just, it's a, that's
2: assessment, isn't it? Because when you've got, you've set your lesson up, you stand back, you look at the whole group, how's the whole group doing? If they're all over the shop, you need to stop them. If not, keep them going. Then you look at small groups or small city areas. So you maybe look at your middle of the road kids and you go, that group's fine, that group, ah, this wee group over here, these three or four kids, like, come here guys, this is what you need to set. And then you step away and then you look at the individual and say, "Are there any individuals that are really struggling in some one-to-one? So it's like whole group, small group, one-to-one. I think it's a good way to, to sort of cut, um, structure your observation skills. Yeah, in a way I guess sometimes helpful. it can be all over the place. That's a good way of doing oh, it like that. And you don't, sometimes you're like, oh God, what do I do here? What would I do to get this better? You know, and I think it's a good way to do
0: it. That's, that's In my opinion, that's one of the hardest things of your, your teaching. It's being able to observe a big, massive class. Eight. Sometimes you get classes of 30, and you're trying to observe all these different <laughs> levels and abilities, and it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's really difficult. But Bizarre, I think but
1: if you have, these, if you have them in doing group play, Was that, just, that, no, just, just what you were saying, you had you hadn't done a lot of group play, small-sided games. I suppose if you've got that set up, it's more looking at small groups and going in and doing interventions with three or four rather than looking at a whole class. Aye, it might
2: be just one or two teams or one or two. Yeah. But I have, you have that board up there. There's a visual with in pupil friendly language so you can shout the kid over. Come here, what do you think? All that. And we do every lesson. We do an exit strategy. It might just be, right, this one here. Hands up, you think you got it. This one, hands up, you think you got it. Just something as simple as that. But if somebody's to come in my lesson and say, where's the evidence? or say, well, come and watch my kids. And that'll be evidence. You can look at the benchmarks yourself and tell me. or mm-hmm. You can ask the pupils if they to talk about their learning because we use pupil-friendly language. We've got moderation boards with kids showing the benchmarks. They should be able to talk to some extent about their learning and then, mm-hmm. obviously, the tracking. So,
1: yeah, it's, it's good. So, see the pupil-friendly language. If you were doing a lesson on kinesthetic awareness and communication, would you just have those two up in the wall or do you have them all up anyway? Like, how is it set um, up?
2: I've got a, I call it a moderation wall because I want to use it with staff, but um, I've got, like, you know the cartoons, um, old Sal cards that you get, so decision-making, few recognition. We've got all those up the wall, but next to each poster is pictures of the kids showing that. So I have a, a picture of the kids showing early um ferticle awareness, then a picture of my P5 showing first level, and pictures of my P7 showing second. And I've built like a whole wall of display to show the progressions through the levels Um so they see that all the time and we work on all these things every lesson but today we're just going to target these three things one from each area or so of them or one or maybe three you might do two personal qualities and one physical competency is up to you always obviously always have a physical competency in there because we don't mm-hmm. want to get away from the physical side of things
1: and then, with the pupil friendly language, when you bring them over to have the learner conversation, you just have a bank of cards with you and you just show them it. I, it's in a big A4 folder, um,
2: so I can basically open it and I can just flip through the cards at right. the start of the lesson. Perfect. Um, and I've got a bank of learning intentions. So, learning intention might be I can today I'm going to learn to manipulate objects. So, I'll underline the word manipulate. What does that mean? We'll talk about it, right? What are the three things that are going to help us get there? Well, we're going to be doing loads of BMTs. so you're going to have to have a uh, good, proce- uh, good multi-processing. What's that? we we'll see when I tell you to do two or three things. Can you remember those? Right, we're going to be working on kinesthetic awareness. So see when I clap my hands um, and you didn't stop, you know, so, or whatever, you know. So it's, it's trying to break it all down for them. Mm-hmm. So they really have okay. to understand
0: the different, the different benchmarks?
2: Aye, of course, of course. It's not but, the best way in the world, but it works for me. And um, I, I think,
0: I, I know that's what I was saying, I think um, speaking to everybody about the, especially in high school, the delivery, like the BGE, everybody's got a, a different way of doing it. Like there's not a universal way to deliver it. And I think that's where it, like sometimes a lot of confusion comes from as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Aye, um, I know. It's just try to pick out the be- best bits of practice you can find and then mm-hmm. pick out. Quite a lot of people still don't share their stuff, which is
1: bizarre. Um, yeah. But Um Yeah, as long as, it, as, you, as you say, it's, it's organic, it's constantly, it's constantly changing and you, you don't know what kids are going to you're going to get in front of you. So can you actually have a system that everybody uses or is it dependent on the context and dependent on the kids in front of you? I, I don't, obviously if I'm planning my lesson, I sort of track
2: the benchmarks of one A4 sheet for the full year and I've got an A4 sheet for tracking my pupils for the full year and that's all I use. Um, and i have just sort of put a dot every time I'm covering a benchmark now that's over you could say it's over a session but what it does for me is it, it shows where over the year where I've where I've had gaps in their learning where I've not focused on something so then the next mm-hmm. year I can maybe focus on that um, but like you said it's, it, it needs to be something that maximizes time I never get kids to come and sit down at a board never will I do that um, as soon as kids come in the hall I'm like right go get a ball just Start going, mm-hmm. wait until the last person changes, go and do something whilst we're waiting, um, as long as you're safe. <laughs> yeah. um, and we usually like a, a do now task, so it might be like first person to 100 bounces, go get a ball. By the time they have done that, everyone's ready. Um, but I think having these success criteria cards and having the quick form of assessments maximizes the activity time. Um, you no, know, getting kids to sit down with worksheets and can uh, you get the calculator out? Can you time how fast you wear it? No, it's it's not natural. No. So there's no point in doing that. Can that, do that ah, you could bring some PE into maths and do that, but I'm not going to mm-hmm. bring maths. Um, people say, how do you fit literacy and numeracy into PE? Well, literacy is naturally occurring in PE. And um, there's a SAT PE document on literacy moderation in PE. And it highlights all the PE benchmarks for early to fourth. It highlights where there is literacy benchmarks hidden within the PE ones. Um, and it's staggering how 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 much literacy is already naturally in there. So our curriculum does that automatically. Um, so, But yeah, your everyday practice of getting kids to speak out and or read something off the board, I get that, but naturally we're doing that. And then, okay, well, math skills, well, we don't work on any math skills in PE. We've got numeracy skills. Maths and numeracy are different. Numeracy skills, um, I'm trying to work on these posters at the moment, um, Education Scotland and PE, success criteria posters, um, and basically sort of showing where you can use what you do in maths into PE. The simple things of being able to count uh, up and backwards for early, um, being able to time things, um, and estimated times uh, those sort of things Mm -hmm. and break it all down but I don't think we need to force anything like that because at the end of the day our cognitive skills if you develop those cognitive skills then you've got a foundation to go and access the other other area of the curriculum so
0: absolutely so to round us off nicely then Chris still talking about quality teaching and learning in your opinion what makes a high quality PE
2: teacher No me anyway. Don't believe that for a minute. You're a high
1: quality quality primary P (laughs) teacher.
2: I think I think relationships are the most important out of everything else. Um, doesn't matter about anything else if you don't have a relationship. So relationships at the bottom there. Um without it nothing else matters. Um so it's almost like your foundation of learning. Um then probably having a good knowledge and understanding of the games and activities that you're going to deliver. Now, you don't need to be an expert in a sport to be a PE teacher, in my opinion, but you need to be an expert in the games that you're delivering, as long as they meet um, uh, high activity, uh, accessing the benchmarks, differentiation, pace challenge, um, all these things that make a great PE lesson. Mm-hmm. As long as you can get the pupils to develop the benchmarks in a fun and engaging way, then that's, that's PE for me. And um, if you can then, I, I think at third to fourth level, start to uh, incorporate the rules and responsibilities of different sports, because then that will transition their, um, hopefully, physically active lifestyle, whatever. Um you start to transition them out of school to go and play sports. I think that's important as well. Yep. But yeah, so relationships, knowledge and understands of the games you're going to deliver. Um observation skills, like I said, earlier on, whole group, small group, individual, Um, being able to plan short term, medium and long term. So I'm I'm seeing flexibility with that because I'm not going to go in and teach a lesson plan. I'm just going to teach the kids that are in front of me. Um, I might have a lesson plan there, an idea of what I want to do off the back of prior learning. Um, But if I'm still not getting it, I might do the same lesson plan four weeks in a row. Um, So, it's been that it's been flexible to what your class needs, um, organisation before and during lessons. So having everything set out and planned for what you want to teach, into um, and, to, and uh, the equipment and the space you're going to use. Uh, but during, so have you planned the transitions into the next practices as well? So there's minimal waiting time um, and that sort of thing. Um, and the last things, probably what we are doing now is being able to collaborate and share with ideas
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and it makes you stronger and it, it keeps you with the current trends so you don't get left mm-hmm. behind um so yeah relationships knowledge observation organization collaborating
0: <laughs> yeah i think that's a, a a good quality top five for a, a good a, a good quality PE teacher right so chris see with every podcast we do we finish off with a quick fire round of three so just nice, short, sharp questions with short, sharp answers. All right? Okay. Right. So, number one, if you could have a giant billboard in your hometown or anywhere in the world, what would it say on it? Curve of coaching.
1: <laughs> right. Hashtag. It's a wee pug. That's, that's another pug you made this book. Tenor.
0: <laughs> right. Number two, what books have had the greatest influence on your life or book?
2: To be honest, I don't really read. Um, I can't read. No, no, so basically, (laughs) there's a a book that I've read before. (laughs) Um, I'm not that interested in reading, but when I was over in America, I read that uh, Matthew Syed's book, Bounce. Yeah, yeah. About growth mindset, opportunity, positivity. I thought you gave that one back.
0: Yeah? No, you you didn't.
2: Was that the one you gave me? You sold it. Facebook. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was a brilliant
2: book. It opened my no. eyes anyway in terms of the players that I work with and the pupils I work with, but mostly myself and what I want. So I mm-hmm. it almost like, sort of triggered a wee switch in my brain and
1: aye. shows awesome. with, with taking responsibility, isn't it, for your own mistakes and your own learning? Aye, totally, totally. That's, aye, I had, the one that you gave me
0: was the one about where it was comparing the Aviation industry to uh, the
1: health health industry
0: medicine health industry aye that's it aye that was a brilliant book I don't think it was bounce is it aye Is it aye oh well aye that was a good book <laughs> <laughs> right oh, <laughs> maybe was, no maybe it wasn't
1: it, I I said it was Mathiside, uh, black box thinking black black, box, black thinking. box thinking that's what it was,
0: was I it? Right. that one thanks that
1: one aye.
0: Right, fine, one so, next so, <laughs> I've lost that. <it. laughs> right, I've lost my train of thought now. <laughs> 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 right, last one then. What advice would you give to a student teacher about to enter the working world, or what advice would you not give?
2: Um, I suppose it just boils down to the person that you are if you're a student teacher and you're going in and you lead a self-evaluative life, like in every aspect of your life, not just in the teaching sector and you want to improve yourself, um, then you'll do well. I've always got a quote that I try and live my life by. I'm not, like quotes I live my life by, I'm not like that. But what what is the point in gaining knowledge to make me better, to make me look good? Or is it, I'm gaining knowledge to pass it on to others because there's no point in me learning something if I just keep it to myself if I learn something and pass it on to somebody else then everything's growing um, and if somebody yeah. around me grows then that'll help me grow so it'll come it bounces back in a way mm-hmm. so yeah be self-evaluative surround yourself with people who are knowledgeable Um so like pioneers and experts uh, in their field and make good relationships with these people Um I'm not saying to go and Uh, Sook to people But um, Identify the ones that are going to Help you progress as well Who are the ones that have got some sort of reputation And expertise about them Well go and learn off them And try and get some of their network as well Um, Avoid energy zappers Uh (laughs) Uh, Negative people who blame Who moan Who look for holes in things Judge others but don't provide anything else On the table themselves Yep I mean, the worst type of people, because Twitter's full of them. But also, you probably work with people like that as well, and you just learn to ignore them. Mm-hmm. Um, find two or three main areas that you can become an expert in, I would say. Um, so don't just be a jack of all trades and a master of none, because if you become an expert in two or three fields, then you, you're more likely to get opportunities through that rather than just being sort of mediocre across the ball. I try to yeah. look at myself as trying to become an expert in Curva and trying to become an expert in BMT. And those are my two focuses and have been for the last four or five years. Um, jump into every single opportunity, I would say, that you get, um, even if it means you're not getting in until eight, nine o'clock at night, every night of the week, you build networks and trust and relationships. But if you do the hard work now, you'll, you'll see. That's what I mean by the hard work now. Uh, people, oh, I know, but it's my grand's birthday, so I can't do that. Nonsense. Get out and do it and get committed. Mm-hmm. And make mm-hmm. The um, excuse will always be there. Uh, of course, I uh, You work with people like that. Um, I'm sure you guys too do too, but um, it's not for me. Um, the last thing is going a <laughs> 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 go, go, no, to a of course. Send us the details. Send the next one. To be fair, I think there's a, there's a Benfica webinar coming up. Um, if you go on Twitter, it? you'll see. Um, ah, you see the details about that because obviously we've got a big relationship with them, so it should be mm. quite interesting. Good stuff,
1: Chris. Right. So Thanks very much Thanks again from, for coming on and sharing your. Today.
2: No, no, cheers for having me on. It's good to talk with folk and collaborate, and hopefully I've not bored anyone to death. No, 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 I always not. enjoy,
1: me enjoy speaking to all the guests and getting different angles from athletes, primary PE teachers, secondary PE teachers, and talking about all things higher, senior phase, BGE, primates, brilliant, just to talk across the, across the whole uh, curriculum for excellence really, 3 um so thanks again for coming on, enjoy the rest of your summer, mate. No, cheers guys, cheers.
0: Right, Clark, take away messages from today's episode. You go first.
1: Very plain and simple today. Uh, we spoke about the importance of ourselves as PE teachers creating a competitive climate where everyone should be wanting to win for themselves and for their teams. So I would say that that's maybe been lost recently. Whether it's down to the nurturing approach or whether it's down to the fear of parents complaining or whether it's down to just an easy way out isn't it to avoid um, uh, wrestling at the end or arguing whatever, whatever it may be so for me competition needs to come back to the forefront of education and it needs to come back to the forefront that will to win as well and mm. you need you need to teach that you need to teach the importance of that and that only comes from a young age as you said earlier in the podcast you need to do it young so yeah. that would be my key takeaway message
0: something that's hard to change isn't it once these traits are ingrained
1: it's a, cult, it's, yeah, it's a culture. It's, it's so, hard to change that. It's about us been cult- mm-hmm. so, responsible for creating a culture, which is a winning culture. And that also, what Chris said, also builds resilience. It builds the ability to overcome adversity, come back from struggle, and come back from failing. So that you can only teach growth mindset if you're making them competitive and mm. wanting to win. Otherwise, everyone just becomes on the same level.
0: Yeah. That's about it the, and then it becomes about the taking part and all that.
1: Yeah. I
0: think um there's a there's a t- there's definitely a time and a place for that, but I think we should be trying to get them into good habits, get them into situations where they are gonna experience failures because if they can do that and deal with it at an early age, then that's just gonna translate later on in life when they get
1: Absolutely. into more serious um ventures like job interviews and stuff like that. So okay. But then it's just but then a good point that you made there how can we not just have both how can we not just have participation and competition why do you always need to see the world as good and bad or mm-hmm. better or worse or higher or lower yeah you know why can we not, why can we not just see it as we can have participation and we can have competition who's to say we can't have both who's to say we can't have a cake and eat it you know what I mean but anyway I'm just a you <laughs> try to do what I can you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you there I agree with you 100% Right. What was your key takeaway message from uh, Chris Quickston today?
0: My key takeaway message. Um, wh- I thought this was a really good insight, and it was with regards to how he observes his lessons. And I think that stems because he uses the small-sided games approach a lot as well, by observing the whole class, then small groups, then individuals. Like that's such a nice structure to follow. And It's something I've never really given given much thought, and I've never really heard of it that way before. No. Yeah. So I thought that was good. Now, I'll certainly use that as a structure going forward when I'm observing my students and um, assessing them in game situations or within any any, any lesson once I've got it up and running. Um, observing the whole class then small groups then individuals. And again, using the small-sided games is a perfect way of doing that because if you've got mm-hmm. them into loads of little small-sided games then you can, you've, also, you've automatically broken up your chunks of pupils and you can go around and support where necessary and um I think that's a that's a great insight that I took from today's episode.
1: Like yeah, it's almost as I like the whole class if they're working fine, then I can get in the small group rather than mm-hmm. wasting time stopping everybody just for maybe yeah. one individual in that group. uh uh-huh. So it's maximizing yeah. movement and engagement. Yeah, then that just
0: that, that just decreases the time you've got, the already short mm-hmm. time you have with them.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: But no, I thought that was really good. Got a lot of good information there. Seems very passionate about what he does and um, it's interesting to see the way that he operates from a, a PE perspective
1: in a primary school. A BMT perspective as well, which we've got um, coming up in a couple of weeks with Andrew DL. So that'll be interesting. I'm sure Chris will be able to, to that one.
0: Yeah. And um, if anybody's listening, go on a quiver course.
1: Uh, you get yourself booked up. Ben's uh, a webinar coming. incoming. <laughs> As always, if you see it on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, we would appreciate it if you could give
0: us a share or a retweet as this helps us get the podcast out there so others can listen as well and get excellent information from the guests. Until next time, we hope you all have a fantastic week. Take care.